everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not. And I'm excited for a few reasons. One, I get to see your beautiful faces. Well, let's focus on what's important. You get to see mine. Uh, also, today is the birthday of our Blessed Mother. Almost 2,000 years ago today, uh, the woman who said yes to God and gave us Jesus was born, and we're so blessed. Um, I'm also blessed because today is my mom's birthday, although she's in heaven. So I don't know. Do you, I assume like there's presents involved in heaven, but like you know what they are because you have preternatural knowledge. And also, my sister Edie's here today. She uh, was helping out. Uh, Dad had to go to the doctor and get some crack cocaine, or as he calls it, medicine. And Edie went along to give it the veneer of respectability. So. <laughs> So she's, uh, so we begged her to stay and she was like, oh, I got work. I'm like, whatever, chick, we all have work. And then dad faked being sick so she'd stay. Thanks, Pop. So I'm excited because today we're starting a section that I hope we, it, there will be a million of these, honestly. Uh, and what we're going to call it is Pope Paris. Uh, we're going to take a look at the popes all through history and uh, not in any particular order even, really. We're just going to have some fun uh, and uh, look at some of the home run hitters, some of the strikeout kings, some of the popes. Like oh, there was even one, I think I told you guys about this, who dug up his predecessor and put his corpse on trial. And then we'll hear about popes who stood toe to toe with uh, horrific evil men and stood for the poor. I mean, we got heroes, we've got villains, we've got partridges and pear trees. So uh, I'm geeked out about that. But before we get into the beginning of Pope Paris, I want to tell you about our show tomorrow. Tomorrow! Tomorrow! Tomorrow, for our guest, we're going to have back at your request, Craig Pohl, superstar action figure, evangelization kit sold separately, and he'll be coming back tomorrow. And ladies, we read your comments. I, have, I can never tell who women are going to say, oh, he's handsome, or he's not. You all were smitten with this man, and I told him, and he's going to be embarrassed. So, uh... <laughs> about you on Friday. Me? Yeah. And I well, you know. was my lighting. <laughs> yeah, because it sure wasn't my face <laughs> that I looked good on Friday. Oh, yeah. Very well, handsome. Well, you know, uh, was I wearing Clarex? Yes. You were just before a, a wedding. Remember, we were... Oh, yeah. We were at uh, the inn at St. John's, and I met the guy who runs it. What a lovely human being. Really. Uh, anyway... And then on Friday, it's going to be question and answer, and this time from a really cool location. We've never done this before. We're going to do it right here in the studio. I'm going to be honest. We've done it before. Uh, Helen is with Helene. us. Helene. What? I think that's Helene. Helene. Oh, yeah. Helene is here. Uh, Helene is named after the capital of Montana. But she's from Kansas. Kansas, we love you. Do you know why? Because Carrie, oh, is drunk. Uh, her beloved just got out of prison in Kansas. We're so excited for him. And we think, honestly, this time he'll hold the straight and narrow. Do we know if Helene is in Selena Diocese? That's what I was just, that's why I was asking. Yeah, or Selena. Wait, what do you say? Selena. Selena was a singer. I be dreaming. Okay. Um, 
I don't even know if I have the right human. But anyway, Helene, we love you. She's been watching the show since we started. Yeah. And she always says hi from Kansas, and it always makes me happy. And I also want to acknowledge Martha, who wrote me a wonderful letter, and I got it on my mom's birthday. Martha, Grand Rapids, I just love you. And New York. New York! Uh, so with that, you guys ready to get into some Pope Puri? Amen. All right. So before we go Pope by Pope, which we won't do, there's 240 some of them, right? And all but two are dead. It's kind of crazy. I didn't even know they were sick. What we'll do is just kind of a quick, hopefully quick, I'm such a loser, run through on stages of papacy because it might be easy for us. This is what I thought before seminary when I had to take, when I had to take the classes on, on such things. Uh, I used to think, well, St. Peter died in Rome, so that's where the popes lived. And that's, oh no, the papacy grew and changed all through the years in crazy ways. You won't even really recognize the papacy in a lot of ways. I walk us through the different stages and how the papacy developed. And if you're thinking, that sounds boring, I don't care! Did I sound defensive? Be honest and say no. Okay, just loud. Yeah, it didn't wake the dog. I mean, Marius is down. Down. Okay. Oh, and I was asked, I think I said this, if I'm ever named Pope, what name do I choose? Well, what I'll do is if I'm the first American Pope, I'll be Pope John Wayne because that's tight and like Edie pointed out if I can get a sponsorship I can choose the name Pope Sicola see if I can't get a sponsorship I'll get a little backsheesh for the Vatican and by the Vatican I mean me uh, if I'm not the first Pope first American Pope did I tell you this you know there's this story that the last Pope will choose the name Peter so I'll choose the name Peter just to freak everybody out. Like, even if the Lord appears and like, seriously, Joe, knock it off. I'll be like, Lord, I'm doing it. I'm going to need your forgiveness. Well, they didn't say the third to the last wouldn't. They just said the last would. That's true. I can always hide behind that. When I die and nothing happens. And the way I'll die, I'm fairly sure a cardinal will stab me in the throat like they used to. Damn it, we did it with dignity back then. So, uh, <laughs> let's take a look at the stages of the papacy. And what I'm gonna do is because I'm trying to cover 2,000 years of incredibly complex and crazy history, you're gonna hear statements that don't do any justice to reality. I'm just trying to compact a ton of information into a small amount of time. Now, the one that's easiest to do, believe it or not, is the first 400 years of Christianity. From Jesus' death and resurrection, who saw that coming, till uh, Constantine, the Roman emperor who made it illegal to persecute people because of their religion. What was Christianity like then? What was the papacy like then? Well, there was no prestige involved. You could have been working side by side with the Pope at a butchery, right? It's not that he quit his job and sat on a chair somewhere and ruled. Uh, he didn't have, he might not have had a house, depending on which pope you have. And a lot of them were caught and executed, a ton of them. A lot of papal martyrs from those first few hundred years. And they didn't call themselves pope. That term really didn't come in until about the fifth century. What they tended to be called was a lot of different things, like jerk. I'm just kidding. Nobody, I mean, I'm sure somebody called him jerk. Yeah. 
But you got to remember, they were the head of a tiny little religion that nobody gave a crap about. It's not like there were a billion Christians running around. Christianity was a very small, illegal religion. Um, and they really didn't, again, you could have, you could have been, so what do you do? Well, I work at the Bookershire shop and I'm a pope. What they referred to themselves as is a successor of Peter or the head of the church. The term pope comes a bit later. Um, a more con well, we'll get into that later. So, in the end, popes were executed, popes were ransomed, popes were killed, uh, all kinds of things in the first few hundred years. And the whole idea was they focused on two things we worship and we feed the poor. And I know I've told you this a lot, but it's super important. You got to remember that when Christians were being persecuted, there's still letters that you can read today that governors wrote to the emperor saying, do I have to? Do I have to persecute the Christians? They're my best citizens. Right. Uh, you had um, all of these different emperors like Titus. We've got letters when Titus was emperor. And of course, they didn't call themselves emperor. Right. By the way, they really didn't call themselves emperor. They never called themselves emperor. They said imperator. But that started with Diocletian in like the late 200s. Before that, they called themselves princeps, first citizens. We call them emperors because it's easier to do. Right. But anyway, why am I talking about this? When the princeps would set out the thing, the directive, everyone has to offer sacrifices to me. Um, and Christians would refuse to do it. Governors would write back and say, I'd rather not kill these people. They pay their taxes and they take care of the poor. Right? Um, kind of crazy stuff. But that's what Christians did. Uh, they hid. They fed the poor. They worshiped God. Um, the role of the Pope was as a unifier of the Christians. When there was a dispute, do we believe this about Jesus or that about Jesus? The Pope was the final word, the Bishop of Rome. Okay, that's what he was called, the Bishop of Rome. Now, Constantine, and you've learned a lot of wrong things about him by accident. Uh, the long and short version is when he took total control of the Roman Empire, uh, what he did was issue the Edict of Milan with a guy named Licinius, uh, who was kind of his number two, although he thought he was also a number one, and that's why Constantine kills him eventually. They issued the Edict of Milan that said you can't persecute someone because of their religion. He did not name Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire. That didn't happen until Theodosius 100 or 200 years later. He um, wasn't a Christian until like less than a week before his death, right? Uh, and I think I talked about this because he had some awful things to do. And back then he wasn't entirely clear um, if you could be forgiven sins after baptism. So he wanted to rack them up before he was baptized. Did you know this? No. Yeah. Poor Constantine. Can you imagine be like, okay, I need a priest. What for? To follow me around. Ready to baptize? Yeah, hit me. Yeah, I would take that job. Although you'd have to see some awful no, no, I stuff. I would hire that person. Although you'd you'd have to see some awful stuff. Like I'm trying to think. I'm 99% sure I'm right. He locked his wife in a sauna and turned it all the way up and watched her die. Oh man. Let me just say this. Oops. I just want the 
blessing at the end. Oh yeah, the how you doing? Yeah. Yeah. The how you doing? The how you You know, and that can be arranged, guys. Joseph. What? No, I'm kidding. Not kidding. Call oh, me. So once, uh, <laughs> once Constantine takes over, uh, Christianity is legal and it's his preferred religion. So for example, one of the things in the Edict of Milan was if you confiscated a Christian's property legally, you can return it without fear of penalty. People who didn't break the law, he was saying, you know, who confiscated Christian's property when that was the right, he was saying, oh gosh, no problem, just return it and we might not punish you. Yeah. So it was clearly his religion of preference, and there's lots of theories. Constantine was so amorphous, and he was such a strange cat, it's hard to tell. Uh, what it seems secular historians have agreed upon is that he saw Christianity as the religion that could unite everybody. This is a religion that can work. Why? It was a religion geared toward the poor. And in that empire, 95% of the population was poor. Right, And I'm hypersimplifying. Again, I'm speaking big, sweeping general principles. Okay? But either way, once Christianity came out of the shadows, now it's legal. Okay, Now you can't persecute someone because of their faith. Christianities came out of the shadow, and they started doing something that we've been doing ever since, yelling at each other. Right, You're doing it wrong. And this became a dominating issue for the popes of that time. That's why they convened a council at Nicaea to figure out what is a Christian. But you want to know what the role of the Pope was at that council? He wasn't there, right? The whole idea of the papacy is still taking shape at this point. Pope was back in Constantinople with Constantine, who popped in on the council once in a while. But it's really interesting for however many years, I want to say seven, but don't quote me, they had this council in Nicaea where they defined what is Christianity. And what did they come up with? The Nicaean Creed. That's where they wrote it, 325 AD. Okay. And what did they do? Take an upside down triangle. They started with a big fat base. What do we believe? We believe in God. How many? One God. What is he? The Father Almighty. What did he do? Created heaven and earth. Of all things, right, and that triangle gets smaller and smaller until you get to the end and they start hitting detailed points. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We, uh, I forget, all kinds of Jesus stuff. Something about dead people in baptism. Yeah. But anyway, that's what they did. And at this point, then, you have uh, Constantine in Rome giving Lateran Palace to the Pope. Okay, the Bishop of Rome. Again, he wasn't called the Pope yet. The Bishop of Rome. And that's when people started using the title Pontifex Maximus. What is it? It's an ancient pagan title. It actually goes all the way back to about 300 years before Christ. Okay, uh, when in Rome you had all these pagan religions and there was one cat they would call the Pontifex Maximus. What does that mean, Pontifex? The bridge builder, Maximus, the great. So the great bridge builder, the Pontifex Maximus. And what was his job? Hold all the little pagan groups together. 
900 little pagan religions, he's in charge of them all. And he keeps them in peace and working together. And this is where that title starts to emerge for the Bishop of Rome, right? Okay, you're the bridge builder. All these psycho people screaming at each other about whether Jesus was uh, born, was, was God born of Mary or was some dude named Jesus born of Mary who later became God. And you think that's psychotic. Yep, but some believed it. So Christianity was still finding its way, right? Defining herself, figuring out what does it mean that the Bishop of Rome, one thing they were all clear on, pride of place, right? They all understood there was pride of place. Uh, what does that mean? Here's a phrase they used. He is the greatest among equals. What an ambiguous title, right? But that's still how his power is defined as the greatest among equals. Your bishop has more power over his priests than the pope has over your bishop. Okay? That's a fact. <laughs> there are very few ways. Whew, nicely done, Marius. Okay, wow. That dog has a dark gift. I think if you sprayed Lysol, it would run back in the can. Sorry, guys. Wow. And it doesn't even bother him. He's still sleeping. That'd wake me up. No, you woke me up. Oh, yeah, woke Dad up. Okay, sorry, guys. Okay. Yeah, no kidding. We need a filter. I'm going to open this door. Oh, my gosh. All right. Sorry. That's a record breaker for our show. So at this point, the vote... Really? How was Father Joe's show today? Well, his dog passed gas, and there was something about a pope or something. Um, pope Paris. That's what we need. We need to spray Pope Paris. So um, the role of the pope at this point really started to emerge as the bridge builder. Let's bring all these crazy people together. Let's figure it out. Constantine gave the bishop of Rome the Lateran Palace, which is the church you see in Rome now called John Lateran. People mistake it all the time and say St. John Lateran. There's no St. John Lateran. It's St. John the Baptist in Lateran Church. Why is it called Lateran Church? That's who had it before, <laughs> before Constantine confiscated it. And now it's the Pope's personal parish. When he's named Bishop of Rome, he's pastor of John Lateran. And if you ever go there, wow. Oh, and you know what's crazy? Truly, that was mom's favorite church. Yeah, the first time I pilgrimaged to Rome after mom died, I went there. And I was like, all right, check. Because it's not my favorite, but it's hers, yeah. My favorite is Mary Major. Oh, love Mama. So, uh, let's see what else. Uh, at this time then, Constantine uh, helped pay for the construction of the first St. Peter's, right? You've seen the big, beautiful St. Peter's in Rome. This was the older version of it, and they built it over the grave of St. Peter, uh, right on Vatican Hill. Um, and you think, it doesn't look like a hill. Yeah, they flattened everything. I, I won't do this to you, I promise, but someday we could. I could walk you through and it would blow your mind what the Romans did with Rome. They changed the Tiber River. When you have an infinite number of slaves, <laughs> which they had, and you can do anything, and lots of free time, uh, they changed the river. They flattened hills. They made a lake and then drained it. They literally made a lake for a show so they could stage a naval battle and then drained it and went back to it. Uh, Rome, what are you going to do? 
but that used to be a hill. And uh, that's where St. Peter's was built, over the grave of St. Peter. And if you ever go to St. Pete's Cathedral Basilica today, uh, you can see his grave. It's right underneath the high altar. Yeah. Do we know the difference between a basilica and a cathedral? No. A basilica is like a cathedral but without a bishop. Okay. So it's called a cathedral because it's the church that the bishop is in a sense pastor of. So in Diocese of Lansing, our cathedral, Cathedra, is St. Mary in Lansing. So who's the pastor of that church? Well, the bishop. So the priest you see every day there is called the rector. He's the guy who runs it. He's not named pastor of the cathedral. He's named rector because the bishop's pastor. And the reason we call it a cathedral is because the, that's the Latin word for chair and the bishop's chair is there, the sign of his authority. So when you build a big church that's not connected to a geography and it doesn't have a bishop's chair in it, it's called a basilica. You're welcome. So, huh? I mean, pardon? Sorry, my mother would kill me. In Savannah, we go to the cathedral that is a basilica, too. Oh, cool. So it would be one that uh, the bishop's chair is in, but that is not defined by a geography. So you can go there. Yeah. And you, obviously, you can go anywhere, but you know what I mean. Yes. It's open to everyone. And I'm hyper-simplifying, but... So, um, again, they really didn't call him Pope. They would call him Pontifex, or they would call him the Bishop of Rome, or the successor of Peter. Lots of different things like this. And this goes all the way to the 5th century. When you get to the 5th century through the 10th century, and I won't take that long on all of them, okay? That one was long. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. When you look at the 5th century through the 10th century, that's 400s to the 900s, the papacy started taking shape. And it's kind of weird, guys. Again, it was simultaneously formed and bullied by secular leaders. It was a very messy time to be pope. If the head of a, some barbarian tribe just decided you were ticking him off, well, he'd kill you. And you think, oh, he'd kill the pope? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it was different back then. This isn't the papacy you're used to. And then during this time, you also have popes and anti-popes. Uh, you would have two or three people claiming to be pope. Why? Well, because that warrior named me pope. His clan said I'm pope. But that clan said I'm, we should kill each other and figure it out. Yeah? Um, yeah, isn't this crazy? But again, we're just so used to it, and I get it. I'm the same way until I read this stuff. I was like, whoa, hey, how you doing? But what you got to remember, guys, is when the Western Roman Empire folded, it was a wreck out there. Like, as much as Constantine did to stabilize and to codify the Roman Empire, it didn't last long after him, right? Why? Because, oh, don't get into that. Sorry. Holy crap. I almost did it. So... At this point, you have the Eastern Roman Empire, which is Constantinople, which is now called Istanbul, uh, that way. But when you go the other way from Istanbul, it was a wreck. The last Roman emperor, boy, uh, Augustulus Romulus, was exiled. And I think a guy named Alaric was the guy who exiled him, mailed the purple garments to the emperor in the east and said, yeah, don't send anybody over. And another Roman emperor was never named. 
So what happened then in the West? Well, when you had this big, massive war machine with unimaginable wealth controlling the entirety of the Western Roman Empire, and it starts to collapse, well, so does society. And all these guys who were regional governors started to go, well, this is my territory now. And look, Charlie's territory, it's a little smaller than mine. I think I could take it. And this is where you get the chaos of the Middle Ages. All these different families that ruled Europe were basically descendants of governors or dukes. They were also called D-U-X, although we say D-U-K-E. Anyway, uh, but yeah, so with all that, the church fell into chaos too. Now, what was she doing? Feeding the poor because there was a crap load of poor now. Most of the people, for example, in the city of Rome were completely dependent on the government to eat every day. Well, now it's gone, right? It was still there and it was still kind of functioning. I'm actually reading something right now by Patrick Wyman that says a lot of people didn't even realize the Western Empire collapsed till about 100 years after it did because the machine just kept chugging right along. It just kept chugging along. Uh, and I didn't know that, but it's very cool. I'm, I'm literally reading it right now. I love Patrick Wyman. So it was a messy time to be Pope because it was a messy time to be in Europe. Eastern Empire was kicking tail. They're doing great, right? The Muslims haven't arrived yet. So the papacy starts to take shape and the West was collapsing. And so the papacy, which was in the West at that point, experienced a lot of pain and tribulation. Now you get to the 10th and 11th centuries. Is this too much? Are people happy? Okay. If you guys aren't happy, it's Carrie's fault. If you're happy, well, that's all me. See, I'm ready to be Pope. Okay, Pope Sergius III. That's a kind of important name to know if you're into this kind of stuff. He uh, was installed in 904, and he, in this period now, lasts for about 60 years. And it's sometimes referred to as the Dark Age. Not the Dark Ages, right? We've kind of abandoned that term because there was some groovy stuff going on in Europe. Um, but um, it basically was a wreck. During this period, the popes were controlled by a powerful and corrupt Italian family. Uh, and uh, there's just nothing to say about this period of time except popes were puppets. It was a puppet pope. It was, it was a puppet pope, A.D., um, and he had a thick accent like this. No, that's not true. I made that up. So in the 10th and 11th century, there was a powerful aristocratic Italian family uh, that was controlling the papacy. And a lot of people call it the dark age of the papacy. And not necessarily dark because these were horrible men, although many were. Uh, it was dark because the papacy almost, you could say, kind of, well, no, how's this? It was in danger of fizzling out. Right, it had no teeth. Um, is, is there a question? Oh, all right, I'm gonna scroll up. This is gonna be a lot of scrolling. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> um, Ambrose, nope. What was the family name? Oh crap, okay, ready? I gotta, I can't pronounce it, so I'm gonna spell it. Those wacky Italians. Um, Theo, T-H-E-O-P-H-Y-L-A-C-T-I, or Smith. <laughs> and you probably are looking at that going, that's Greek. Yeah, it's so hard to explain. 
We say Italian. They would not have said Italian. There was no Italy yet. Uh, it's hard to, we're, we're just doing geography, right? So when you hear, for example, like all these tribes, like the Goths, the Gauls, the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, the, they were all German speaking, right? And it's hard to explain, but we just in the end say the Goths. And that refers to about 500 groups of people, but it's just easy to do, right? So same with the Italian name of Theophilus Johnson, Smith, Jones, Jackson, James, Jingleheimer, Schmidt. You know, their name's my name too. Mm -hmm. So papacy though, uh, in this point, when we get to the 11th and to the 13th century, this is where what you and I understand is the papacy. Oh, am I supposed to look up? I can, hold on. All right. Un momentito, por favor. That's Spanish. All right. Dear stupid, uh, when did dressing in white and bishops, oh, you know, I don't know. I'll have to look that up. I don't know that one. When did the Pope start wearing the colors they wore? Right, because Popes wear, like you've seen my cassock. I wear it a lot. I love my cassock. It's a black robe. Uh, the chicks go wild. <laughs> Okay, I made that up. Um, popes wear white cassock, and I think they're the only people who can. D d what do you call those people? Dominicans wear white robes, but they don't wear a white cassock. I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. And I have, did I tell you, I have one of the Pope's keepers, right? The custom was, if you're a priest, tru truly, John Paul II or Benedict was the first to stop it. Because classic, when priests found out, it got out of hand. But if a priest, if you're a priest and you meet the Pope and you ask for his keeper, he gave it to you, right? Well, then, of course, if you let an idiot like me find that out, I'm going to every time be like, hi, Holy Father. So I got mine from a priest who had two. True story. The white skull cap, right? Keepa. Okay. In Hebrew. I don't know what it's called in Latin. Isn't that weird? Whew. Okay. Where were we? Were they elected? Who? The Pope's kind of, sort of. We'll get into when they start getting elected like we know now. Um, but at this point, yeah, uh, it's hard to explain. It, it changed every time. And if you have a guy with a sword, he wins the argument, right? Peter went to death, like Peter went to death. Pardon? Peter went to his death, and then there was Peter was Pope until his death. Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, until you were dead. That's one thing they always got, right? You were Pope until you were dead. Uh, in fact, we'll get into this. At one point, you know, Benedict's not the first guy to resign. Different Popes tried, uh, and one pulled it off before him that I can think of. I can even remember his name if you give me time. Celestine, I think. Pope Celestine not only resigned, he ran away and hid. Um, and they sent everyone out to find him. It took them a year to find him. And he was literally hiding in a cave uh, under the, oh, please, no school. Yeah. That's the guy you want, Pope. Like Benedict, like John Paul II. They cried. Please don't. <laughs> Too late, big fella. Okay. So, uh... Do, 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 do. 10th and 11th century. Oh, I already did that. So 11th to 13th century. I didn't highlight that. Look at, now I bold it. Uh, this is what I wrote. And again, I hope you hear me. I'm going super quick and describing crazy complex stuff as simple as I can. Okay. Uh, this is defined by, I wrote three conflicts. 
okay, uh, for the Pope. First, uh, who names bishops? Okay, and we're getting into that. We're going to explain each one. Two, the East-West fight or dispute. And then three, the Crusades. So what is this who names bishops nonsense? Well, kings did. Uh, tribal leaders did. And you say, the Pope didn't? No, he had no power. Right? Who, did you know this? This is a true story about, what's his name? Pompey Magnus. At one point when he wanted Julius Caesar to be, do I have the right triumvirate? Give me a second. I said the two triumvirates mixed up. Yeah, I got the right one. Uh, he wanted the Senate to pass a law that they didn't want to pass, so he brought in his, his bodyguard. And they literally stood in a circle inside the Senate hall and pulled out their swords, at which point Pompey Magnus said one of the greatest lines in history. Ready? Will you stop lecturing men with swords about laws? <laughs> yeah. Please stop lecturing men holding swords about your laws. And that's really how things worked, guys. Uh, that's really how things worked. And it's played out here a little bit. That kings would say, well, I want my brother to be bishop. And the pope would say, well, I don't think he should. And he went, <clears throat> I'd really like my brother to be bishop. Pope's like, oh, which one? Right? That's how it worked. So, and of course, hyper-simplifying here, you know. But uh, this conflict, so let's take a look at it. Uh, this fight really came about because of the emergence of the Germanic tribes. The Germanic tribes really started, once Rome collapsed-ish, uh, it really was the Germanic tribes that took control. And if you know your Roman history, you know almost every great Roman general at the end was a German, right? When we think of them as barbarians, we have to remember the Romans called them that, but they were incredibly advanced. They weren't these hairy, you know, uh, they were organized. They had a senate. They had, I mean, the... I mean, they called them barbarians because of how German sounds. Did I, did I talk about this? Whenever you, if you ever hear German, you hear the word bar a lot. Seriously. Bar, 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 bar. So they just barbarians. They're, they're, literally, they were making fun of how they talk. Um, but they weren't, although the Romans thought of themselves as hyper-advanced, and they were, but they also thought of the Germans as backwards, and they weren't. Um, they had an interesting society and a flourishing culture, uh, and they were the... Okay, stop. So, uh, as the Germanic tribes started to emerge, they were devoutly religious, but also quite interested in power, and they ended up having a lot of fights with the Pope about whether they get to name Bishop or whether he does. Um... Yeah, okay. So, when it, basically, when a Germanic guy was in charge... He would say, I should get to name the bishops in my area. And the Pope went, no. And he said, sorry? Oh, yeah, you. That's right. But at this point, too, the Pope is getting power. And what kind of power? People getting uncomfortable with someone threatening a priest. The devout religiousness of the Germans almost worked against them as their people were like, easy. That's the successor of Peter. So that's where the conflict starts to come. Uh, the East-West schism happens at this time. What's that? And oh my God, I'm not going to get into it because then I'll never shut up. But know this, that East-West empire, remember how the West collapsed and the East didn't? Well, as you can imagine, real cultural differences began to emerge. They began to think of themselves as two different empires and they began to act like two different people. Um, in the East, 
which was headquartered in, uh, what do they call Istanbul? Uh, Constantinople, right? They spoke a lot of Greek. Um, they had a real kind of Byzantine tax system, but it worked. Uh, and again, the Muslims weren't banging on the door yet. So they had relative peace and security. In the West, you had a lot of chaos, a lot of Latin speaking, high, 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 high levels of illiteracy. Uh, taxation was just done by the biggest guy around you. Um, you know what I mean? There was no police. There was no central army. There was no, it was, you get me? Okay. That culminates in a religious split. And again, for my Eastern brothers or for my Western brothers who are all into this, I'm not getting into it. Dear sweet fancy Moses. Uh, but it would be hard not to pin the blame primarily on the West, on us Romans. Okay. Uh, and, and I won't get into it too much, but basically, yeah. That's where I'll stop. And then the next thing that came up is the Crusades, because now the Muslims are banging on the door, right? You've been taught because, God help us, we hate ourselves, uh, that the Muslims were these peaceful, wonderful people, and we kept trying to storm into the Middle East and take over their places. That is the literal exact opposite, and there's no way to say anything else, right? When we say, well, we had to retake Jerusalem, we literally mean we had to take it back from the people who took it from us, <laughs> okay? This wasn't just somehow the Muslims always had Jerusalem and no, there was, they marched to eradicate Christianity and spread Islam, right? That was the law. That was the law of Islam. And yes, Christians did atrocities, Muslims did atrocities, but don't buy the thing that you know, Christians were all barbarians and Muslims were all wonderful civilized people and we goose stepped in to ruin everything. That is not, there is nothing intelligently written that can argue that. When the West and East saw divided, we don't have a chance. That's what really did lead to the popes having a possibility of reconciliation with the East, but pride and circumstances kept it from happening. So those were the three primary things that defined the papacy really at that time from the 11th to the 13th century, okay? Um, when you get to the 13th and 14th century, they call this era the wandering popes, okay? How did that work? Well, they weren't headquartered in Rome. Rome was a mess. Rome was a disaster, uh, the city of Rome. And again, think of this, the Roman Empire that you think of pre-Christian, they had lots of capitals. Sometimes it was Rome, one point it was Nicomedia, Ravenna for a long time, and Constantinople for a long time. The city of Rome uh, became almost this place emperors wouldn't go because it was a mess and it was filthy and it was, yeah, it's kind of funny to think of. We always think of the Roman emperor sitting in Rome. No, not really, uh, not after the second century. Third century, I always do that. So when we get to the 13th and 14th century, the popes didn't have the Vatican in Rome that they lived at. No, it was, where did the last guy die? Well, the last pope died in uh, Ecomathia. Okay, well, that's where we'll elect the new one. <laughs> so that's where they elect the new one. And then he's like, huh, let's go over there. So then the Pope and literally this army of um, not soldiers, but of like bureaucrats 
and secretaries, but I'll just move into a town. And that's where the head of the church is now. And you would come to visit there. And it was a real blessing if you, if that was your town, because holy crap, that's a lot of tax revenue coming in. That's a lot of visitors. That's a lot. Like if you owned a, a, a restaurant, oh yes. But if you were mayor, you might lose your job because the Pope might go, I like it here. I think I'm going to be mayor. And you, there's not a thing called voting, right? There's just the most powerful person in the room went, I'm mayor. And he went, yes, you are. <laughs> Did I, I think I skipped over, didn't I, about when they, yeah, sorry. The last one, right, what I told you guys about in the East-West system, this is when the process for electing the Pope was codified. Done. And we've not changed it much since at all. The only things we've changed are for technology. So including, you know, a really curious one. I don't know if you know, you're a doctor, Edie. They have, um, when the Pope dies, do you know this? They have a little hammer, right? And they hit his head three times. And they say their birth name, John, or whatever. Who do we got now? Francis, Jorge. So his birth name's Jorge. So literally, when he dies, they'll go in his room, because that's what they did back then, take a little silver hammer, tap, 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 Jorge. Jorge, Jorge, you say their name three times. And if they don't wake up, they're dead. Isn't that great? It's just seriously, can you imagine being the dude with the hammer? Like that's your job. You just sit at a desk all day waiting for a Pope to die. I'm in! Isn't that weird? Do you know that? They did that. Because you gotta remember guys, they understood kinda there was a thing called a coma, but they didn't really get it. I know that sounds funny. They just knew some people were dead and then they weren't. And they seem fine now. And they knew like, this is terrible. Do you know about this? I swear this is true. They find graves with fingernails. Because clearly somebody wasn't dead, but they thought they were. That's where the whole thing of the bells came from. The bells. Yeah. And the graveyard shift. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What bells? Well, they used to bury people uh, uh, with, with a bell. So there was a chain, and when they would bury them, they would literally put the chain in this hand just in case they woke up, then you could ring the bell. And that's where it Oh, sure. That's why you have, yeah, that's where you have graveyard okay, shifts, right? Sure. People whose sole job was to hang around the graveyard in case a bell started ringing because they didn't get it. And they couldn't tell how to tell the difference except when they started to smell. And if they get to that point when everybody figured out, we all get sick if we're still in the room when they start to stink. So the safest option was to bury them with a bell. Crazy stuff. But so they still do this. Why? It's custom, right? And the dude with the hammer, he's bored. Did you know about that with the little hammer? Isn't that cute? I mean, it's not cute. The dude's dead. But if he isn't, can you imagine? Son of a hey! You know. Well, I don't know that the hammer's going to bring about a coma either. Yeah, and they weren't clear, right? You, you know, if you ever want, I think I have a book somewhere. Except, remember reading about all this. The the millions of things we went through in human history to try to figure out when people are dead. Put the mirror under the nose. Yeah. Put the mirror under the nose. Mirror over the nose. Yeah. The whole banana. Mm -hmm. It, it really is. And so much of our stuff about vampires comes from this. Uh -huh. um, people getting out of their graves. <gasps> it's witchcraft. No, he was just in a coma, you moron. <laughs> That's why, truly, if you look at Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, I'm dead serious. Look at it. That's not the one they all went crazy for. The one they went crazy for in the Bible, in the Gospels, was him healing a man born blind. 
because that was the one nobody had heard of. People had heard of folks they thought they were that were dead not being dead. It's really interesting. Who was it? Anyway, stop. Okay. So the process for picking the Pope was codified uh, and basically remained unchanged uh, in the 11th, 12th century. And this wandering period of the papacy in the 13th and 14th century is really hilarious. Okay. Now, during this period, a crazy thing happens. The wandering papacy, right? This is where you get what's called the Avignon Papacy, where you had seven popes, all French, right in a row, uh, who just stayed in France. And then the French king started to say, well, while you're here, why don't you do whatever I say? And you end up with the papacy kind of trapped in France in Avignon, and it's called the Avignon Papacy or the Avignon Exile, and the last of the seven was Pope Gregory the Eleventh, and he's the one who just moved it back to Rome, and I'm pretty sure that's where it stayed afterward, right? He died there in Rome with the papacy in Rome, but when that happened, some of the French cardinals, under the influence of the king, they had a conclave of their own, all right? We're naming the next pope. They wanted to keep it in Avignon. And so they named a guy, I can't remember his real name, but his, it was Pope Clement VII. And this starts what's called the Western Schism. Although don't freak out, it wasn't a real schism. It, it didn't even last, I don't think it lasted 50 years. But what happened here? The church was ripped apart because you had a couple popes at the same time. And you had anti-popes, right? There's an official title in the church of anti-pope. That cat shouldn't be pope, right? Um, this kept going until 1414, okay? So this all started in 1309. And then in 1414, a council of Constance, uh, basically the um, anti-pope, John the 23rd at the time, fled in disguise and he was arrested, caught, and deposed. So he was no longer pope. And Pope Gregory the 12th resigned voluntarily. He was like, let's end this crazy. Let's end this crazy. And they did. So the field of popes was all cleared at the Council of Constance, and Pope Martin V was named pope in November 1417 and ended this Western schism, right? Where you had a pope in France and you had a pope for the rest of the, you know. Okay. How are we doing? Is this helpful? Mm -hmm. Okay. Is it too much info? No. Nope. All right. How are we doing time? -wise? <gasps> oh my gosh. Remember, I was going to cover Pope Peter today. Well, I know. That's okay. Okay. Are we bored? No. Nope. Okay. So I'll go super quick now. Like lightning man. Do you see the Lightning Man post? I Look, at, I don't know what this is. Okay, uh, the church enters a time in the 15th and 16th century when really everything started to settle down. Okay, uh, there's a process for how the pope is picked, and it's followed. And there aren't divisions among. Well, I thought Edie was pope. Nope, John's pope. I heard Bill was pope. There, none of that is happening anymore. Now, don't get all happy because if they didn't like the pope, they just killed him. Right. So it wasn't like, well, we'll just be patient. You know, uh, there's divisions and there's some popes who get taken out. But then here's the other thing. For the first time, really, it became a consistent reality that the pope had genuine political and financial muscle. 
okay? The popes began to accumulate. Now, some popes did, some popes didn't before, but now it's kind of SOP, standard, standard operating possible. Standard operating procedure. My brain is so fast today. Um, that popes began to accumulate land, accumulate power, and accumulate wealth in an immense fashion. And I talked you guys through this about three weeks ago. But this is where you see a flourishing of art, of beauty, uh, of dirty, dirty games. Um, because it was a tremendous amount of power. You also see at this time that popes began to intervene in politics, right? So Edie and Carey are arguing about which one of us should be king. The pope began to weigh in. And of course, then Edie could make sure she's named king with a little bit of <clears throat> prayer. For those of you not watching, I'm making a money sign. They also did some lovely things with their political power, just depended on the Pope. Some of them were great, some of them were jerks, because Edie's husband's from Boston. Boston. From Boston, so I say jerks. 17th century is defined, obviously, by the Protestant Reformation and the church's response to it, right? And that's a mess. And then, and we went through that, right, with Pope, uh, uh, what's his butt? Remember, we just did this two weeks mm -hmm. ago. The, and again, catch how often the Germans are still popping up, right? The Holy Roman Empire was still doing all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Uh, the 18th and 19th century is fascinating. And to me, it's one of those times where as Americans, we might feel the most like, what the heck, okay? But this is the time when all of Europe was exploding with ideas of democracies, democratizes, democracy, becoming democratic republics. What is the word? I don't know. Democratic or in Latin, Oh, that was Swedish chef, actually, wasn't it? Okay. Okay, so uh, Europe started throwing off its monarchies. And if you're in French, they threw off their heads, too. And during this time, and this might shock you, I don't know, but again, as Americans, this might figure us out, the church always sided, almost always with the royalty. The church believed, and as far as I know, still believes that the best form of government is a benevolent monarch. Did you know that? No. I think I'm right. I could be wrong. I want to be super duper clear that the church still feels the best way to go is a benevolent monarchy. Um, republics are messy, right? If you're not sure, just turn on the news. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Uh, it's just was such a new and crazy way of thinking. And you got to remember the French Revolution involved at one point, I think I'm right, the biggest slaughter of Christians, gosh, since the Mongols, right? You probably weren't taught this. You were taught about enlightenment, which was not enlightened. Uh, but what you weren't taught is that they tied priests and nuns onto barges, set the barges on fire and pushed them out in the water and watched them burn and drown. Um, uh, you weren't taught that in the French Revolution, they tried to remake everything, the days of the week, to purge everything of Christianity. You weren't taught that um, because your teachers weren't taught that. And they weren't taught that because of an education system that was founded by people who don't like Catholics. Okay. Um, 
So that's the 18th and 19th century. The church simultaneously fighting off socialism and communism on one side and trying to figure out how to make this monarchy thing work. And once it became clear that that's not where the Lord was calling us, the church totally backed down. But in the end, it makes the papacy very hard to define. Because one thing they were always pretty good at at this time is saying, don't kill people. <laughs> don't, don't, if you're king and you're slaughtering your citizens, the Pope's going to get in your face. The Pope's going to tell other kings, go attack him. And they will. That's where the papacy was at her best. This is also the point where she wasn't always at her best. In our new modern view, uh, you and I think would be sad that she sided with the monarchs, but I can truly say I get it. It's just how things were, okay? You get to the 20th century, Italy was so shredded by constant turmoil inside of itself, that the popes were in a perpetual state of a kind of warfare. So they established uh, in 1929 the Vatican City. Okay, 1929, that little 11-acre country in the middle of Rome, and nobody's invaded it since, not even Hitler. Right? Hitler sent assassins in, right? Mussolini, I don't know if Mussolini did. Hitler certainly sent assassins in. The Soviet Union sent assassins in. One of them shot John Paul II. But for the most part, this is the beginning of a time in history when the papacy exercised its ministry in a very different, in the way you and I are used to, right? Um, we don't have an army anymore. The church figured out that's not good. Uh, we don't have a taxation system anymore. We don't, Rome is totally dependent on donations. Rome is totally dependent on the goodwill. Why didn't Hitler invade the Vatican? Because he figured it would turn the Swiss against him. It would turn all the countries that were neutral against him. And it would have literally driven the Catholic psychotic. It would have, right? Um, yeah. So that's kind of, wow, Whew. and I missed a lot, okay? I didn't give you everything I wanted to, but uh, holy cow, it's almost 1 o'clock. I'm going to see if there's any uh, questions. Um, let me see. Hold on, folks. Okay, so uh, we'll have to get after the close thing. Uh, 1929. When did the Vatican City State happen? 1929, if you mean the establishment. Uh, yeah. Oh, they had a much bigger territory. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, because Italy's yesterday, right? It's so weird to think of. We're used to thinking of Italy as a country. Guys, it was a mess until, I want to say, right before World War I. It wasn't Italy. It was the Italian peninsula with about five kingdoms in there, or 12 kingdoms, at times 27. I'm just listening, Dad and I just listened to a documentary on this. 27 kingdoms at one point. Um, yeah, it's really, and even if you look, well, yeah. What about married popes? Uh, married popes ended with the Council of Elvira, uh, like the song, okay? But there were popes after that who were married. And for those of you not watching, I just did the air, the air quotes. Well, we'll hear about it. When we get into some of the bad popes, some of these guys had more kids than a city. Um, 
Would you discuss the synodal, synodal I can't say that word, synodal? synodal. The synod, A-L, <laughs> process that Pope Francis is instituting over the next seven years. Yeah, I, you know, I should do that because I don't know enough. You know what I mean? And you got to remember, and I think this is okay to say. If it's not, I'm going to look at you people and you're going to stop me. You have to remember the church is centered in Italy. And Italy is a mess. It's a beautiful mess. And they love it. And the Italians don't have any complaints. But as an American, if you live there, you die. Right? I had a buddy who lived there for five years and he was like, swear to God, huh? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Right? Like, uh, seriously, I, he showed me one time when I was, I've been there 17 times, no, 16 times now I've been to Italy, right? And it cracked me up. I was in the Vatican offices, okay? And these priests kind of stagger in at about 10. And they're smoking their brains out on the way in. And then they all sit down and they drink their cappuccino. Cappuccino in the morning, espresso in the afternoon. We, the opposite of us. Or the opposite of me, I don't know. And they sit there and blah, 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 you know, blah, 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 blah. And then a piece of paper, you know, then finally they decide it's time to work. And a piece of paper gets stamped. And then they hand it to the next guy who stamped. They love stamps. I don't know what it is. Right? And then four priests later, it's been stamped four times and then they have a smoke. Right, it's so crazy. I don't know, like John Paul II, when he was made Pope, do you know about this true story? Someone asked him, hey, how many people work at the Vatican? He said, about a third. <laughs> yeah, it's a country where relationships are the important thing. They will fight and bleed and anything for family. Your job, eh, it's just what you gotta do. And they're good at it, but they're slow. They take their time. You interrupt your work if someone wants to talk to you. Uh, you can, and, you know, don't do it because it's rude, but if you go into a church, okay, Marius, where, like, they're working, uh, and again, you'll do this. You'll walk in, and you'll see scaffolding in a church, and the floor is torn out, and then you'll come back five years later, and there's scaffolding in the church, and the floor is torn out, and nobody gripes. It's the craziest thing. Like, Germans and Americans would die would just die. Uh, how does taxes work? Well, about once a year, you send some stuff in. It's like a postcard. It's the world's seventh largest economy and they don't have an IRS. They've had, get this, almost 300 governments since World War II. Yeah, and right now, I think they have a socialist president or whatever they're called. It's a crazy country. And this is so Italy, right? Um, yeah, I could go on and on. And I hope that didn't hear it sound like me making fun of them. They're happy. I would lose my mind. You get on a bus sometimes, I've seen this, I've seen this a few times, and somebody realizes, oh crap, I'm on the wrong bus, all right, I'll go, I'll drop you over there. <laughs> break route, go get you there, all right. Or they just scream at each other. The bus driver literally stops the bus, and then they go, you know, and then, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know the other thing I saw that just I, I actually I was we were sitting at a table it was four Americans and this woman who was clearly Italian right because you see a lot of Asians there you see a ton of Indians there there's less and less Italians in Italy every year they're not having kids right look it up Pope Francis, the last three popes, literally did public addresses begging men to get married, to stop catting around and living with mom. Seriously. So 
we're sitting in this restaurant and this Italian woman is pushing a baby carriage. People ran out of the restaurant and we're just fussing. And we're like, oh, it must be an actress or uh, the guy next to the table, he said, uh, he asked if we were Americans or Canadians. I said, well, we're Americans. And he says, we just don't see Italian babies anymore. So anytime you get to see an Italian baby, they all ran out of the restaurant. It was the craziest thing. Um, yeah, Italy. People are like, Father, should we pilgrimage to Rome? Bring headache medicine. Because they can't drive. Well, they can drive. Actually, that's no, the crazy no, thing. They do. Yeah. Do you won't see any accidents, and you'll spend so much time thinking about, how is everybody not dead? Yeah. And you never see an accident. And when you do, they're either about to kill each other or hugging each other. No, but you know what they do? They do what they do in Detroit. I'm just going. You don't want to dent in your car. The best is those little smart cars. Yeah. They park them sideways, too, in a spot. Yeah. So Dad and I were walking one time. This was in uh, Florence, I think. It was Florence or Rome. True story. And one of those little smart cars. And I don't know how. And we were like, she can't open the doors. Like, there was this much room on each side of her. Bing! The trunk pops open. And this woman dressed like she was going to see the queen. She looked like an angel. And she gets out. She trunk pops. She climbs out of the trunk. And I mean, just dressed like a goddess. And then she takes her little heels and slides them on. And then just nances off. Crazy. Italy's awesome and terrible. I've, like, I told Carl, Carl lived there for years. I'm like, bro, did you lose? Because he's German. Yes. He is German, like, in his DNA. His DNA is in line. And he was like, my first year, I thought I'd lose my mind. And then at some point, I just went, I'm at peace. Because it is beautiful. They really love each other. I don't mean to go on and on. It, it's so weird. You know, what time's dinner? It's when you eat. And they eat, like, at 9 at night. Do you know this? So they wake up in the morning, and they're like, we'll have breakfast for you. And don't let them fool you. Right? They have a hunk of sausage there. Uh, like, you know, of salami. Here, eat that. For breakfast? And then at lunch, it's like, well, I have a half a sandwich. And then at dinner, you eat like the plane's going down. Yeah. And then you go to bed, and you wake up, you stagger into work, you know, I don't know, 9, 10. Siesta from 1 till about 4. Then you go back into work till about 8. These people are nuts. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like a siesta for more life. <laughs> Isn't that weird, though? But then can you imagine, now go back to work. I, I would just be like, no, I'm going to eat the pasta now. And then I'm going to pass out and work. Peace. Once I hit about 6 p.m., I'm useless. I am totally useless. I've turned into that guy. This morning, I beat my arm by half hour. 5.30, I'm awake, fat, and happy. But then come 6 p.m., I'm a horrible Italian. The only thing that made it work for me is the time difference. You know, because my body was, okay, now I'm going to stop. I'm going to, I'm sorry, but I'm not. Yeah. All right, you guys ready to pray? And then tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow!
Oh, we'll have Craig Pohl on. And then, you know what? We might just keep going with the potpourri for a while right while I'm putting together all the other stuff because a lot of this is in my head and that's what helps my only work is to organize it um, and to not talk too much all right in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit okay Jesus thank you for our messy messy history the messy history of our popes and our church because our histories are messy we're the same person as when we were young, but we're older and wiser. We made mistakes in our young, passionate days, and so did your church. Your church is a person, and that person is your bride, and you love us. So thank you for loving the train wreck that is us. And thank you that you delight in us. You've guarded your church and you've guided her through good days and bad, through sickness and in health. You've loved her and honored her all the days of her life. Help us to be merciful with others. Help us to be merciful with our own past. And whatever we get right or wrong, help us to love your poor. Lord, you know our hearts. You know there's people we're very worried about. You know there's circumstances we're, that we fret about. And we give it all to you. And we love you. And we trust you. And may Almighty God bless you all. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll see you beautiful people tomorrow when we interview Craig Pohl about the fact that he's a horrible person. Until then... Peace. Is it over? No, it's never over.